0: We have the ability to define success.
1: It's all about their vision and then making sure you align their vision with their work ethic.
2: I wanted to be the hero, man. I wanted to save kids. That was my job. That's what I was going
3: to do. This is SB Live's The Prep Slab with TJ Cotter. The podcast where you would hear authentic conversations about how things get done in high school athletics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit scorebooklive.com Washington to access all The Prep Slab podcasts as well as statewide high school sports news, features, photos, highlights, and more.
2: If I take care of my teammates, if I do what's difficult, and if I give everything I've got in every single day, I'm going to be a winner.
3: Today, we're talking about the purpose of high school sports. And if in this era, is it time to rethink the purpose of prep sports? Then we have four great guests. First, we have Sam Reed, who is the current athletic director at Seattle Prep. Tony Davis, he's the assistant principal, athletic director, and football coach at Tahoma High School in Maple Valley. Then we have Michelle Burge, who is the head girls basketball coach at Wilson High School in Tacoma. And we also have Don Bartell, who is in his eighth year as the football coach at East Lake High School in Sammamish. Sam, Tony, Michelle, Don, thank you for joining.
4: Thanks
0: for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah.
3: Well, I think there's just such a wide range of different perspectives each have, and each represents some sort of different demographic around the state as well. And um, I wanted to to start off with this one. Um, What to you is the purpose of your role in high school sports? It seems the old adage is that high school sports are to be a continuation of the classroom and that coaches build lifetime values such as citizenship, sportsmanship, teamwork, and hard work but is that being done to you amid some of the different challenges today or is that purpose maybe changed out of necessity in your mind?
2: I I would say this, like I'm going to, this might seem like a cop-out, but I think um, it's the overarching piece or at least the core piece. Our job is to assess and provide for the legitimate needs of the kids that we serve. Um, Not just that, but that we have stakeholders, parents, admin, other coaches on our staff, people in our community, alumni, uh, peewee players, you know, all of that. Um, but, but if I were to answer your question, honestly, I would say our job hasn't changed, but the needs are changing. They're shifting. Um, I think we're seeing, and I, and all of us who have who've really been in this long enough, 25, 30 years, know that you know the real idea behind sports has not changed you know only one team in 4A wins state football championship every year so you better have something to give kids besides that if not you're not going to be around for very long um, you'll burn out and they won't find much use in you but i would say that inside of all that it's like it's the same thing it's always been you have to be believe that there's greatness in every single kid that you encounter and then your job is just bring that out so we serve, we sacrifice for those legitimate needs, we give kids what it is that they're they're longing for um, sometimes it's difficult because that sacrifice means we're sacrificing a relationship with those kids for two weeks or two months or sometimes two years um, but in that sense, it hasn't changed. I think what really has changed is and and I know there's some more experienced coaches on here than i I feel like one of the things that's changed is the assessment piece. I feel like It's almost like our superpower is in person, walk in a room and feel what's going on and know who's doing what or feeling what or thinking what and then responding to that. And now we live in this virtual world for the most part, Um, unless you've been lucky enough to kind of gather. We're living in this virtual world where our assessment techniques are not the same. And so in this sense, the paradigm has almost flipped and the kids are in control because of their level of engagement through the computer over the screen um the lack of accountability or the easy way for a kid to fade to the back where we could call him out when we see him in the hallways every day. And so I think there's a the things that are changing are not necessarily our job, but the things that are changing are the those intricacies about it. Like I need to hone my skills on getting a little bit better on assessment. And I need to be able to provide for those needs in a little bit different way because I don't have all the same tools I used to have. I can't put my arm around a kid right now. I just can't do it. And so, in that sense, I think a lot of things have changed. A lot of things.
3: I, I kind of would present this to Tony and Sam since you guys have control over all the programs in your guys' schools. How do you go about navigating that with the coaches in your programs and how you instruct coaches ought to handle these, these relationships and, and be able to pass over the purpose of what these programs are supposed to be about?
0: Don actually said something that triggered this for me. We're in a time where I would argue the ability to connect with something is greater than it's ever been. Something other than a computer screen. That's what school looks like right now. And, and, a, and, a, and a, I wanna be real clear with this one, it isn't just the kids, it's adults. And so we're constantly talking about making sure that not only are we taking care of our kids, but are we taking care of each other as we work through this thing. And you know, it, Every every coach in AD on the screen right now is used to being able to reach out and connect with a group of kids, and that's gone. I, I walk out the door, I'm at school right now, I walk out the door and there's this big old empty space that at 2.30 every day is just, it, it's just kids and it's just, it's awesome. Just there's this, if you didn't have juice at the end of the day, open up this door, or you just got off the phone with somebody who's mad because of the, whatever the soccer coach did or whatever you open the door and there's literally hundreds of kids out there and you, that juice just comes from that. And so um, what I'm finding is it's important to make sure that we're checking in not just with the kids but with the with the coaches and with the teachers. again I think we all would agree and teach especially in your teaching now too teaching has never been more challenging than it is right now. you know Don you talked about you know I've always I agree with you. I just kind of felt like as a coach, part of the job was to make our players feel like they can do anything. And that's kind of the approach I take when I'm working with the teachers here, the group of teachers that I get to work with. And then sometimes (laughs) once once they feel like they can do anything, then it's get out of the way and let them just go and just take off. And we'll make corrections along the way. Um, And so it's harder to do that. It's never been harder to do that. Than it is right now when it's just on the screen, and so um, that that given that back and forth that happens when we as the adults can see the faces of the young people that are on the screen, that's a that's a big part of it, and then just knowing every day, as hard as it is, that we're going to get through this, there there will be a, there's an end to this. We don't know where, we can't pencil the date, I can't put it on a whiteboard, like because we're all used to doing that, right, coaches? We're used to being able to say, here's, here's the schedule, here's when practice is gonna end, here's when the season's gonna end. We don't have any control over it, so I think it's 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 important as it's ever been to just keep reminding ourselves, both for kids and adults, we're gonna get through this. And we're gonna do it because we're sticking together as, as we work through it. I so. think
3: well, yeah, that's a great point, just like the the role of a coach is setting the example for your program, you know, what what do you want these kids to to get out of it? And one of it is to be optimistic about these things because who else is going to, if you're not going to, Um, I thought the topic of COVID here really brings up, uh, makes this topic really um, at the forefront right now, if I think for a lot of coaches, just because normally right now, we're looking at the state football semifinals at this period of time. Uh, Michelle is probably starting uh, tryouts (laughs) this week for for basketball. I thought, Michelle, I kind of point this to you is how, how are you navigating this time with your players and, especially when those relationships in basketball are so forged in gyms.
1: We've got some of our girls who have no food right now and are living in situations that I know are tough just by my previous relationships with them and they're struggling in school and so really not even talking basketball. I had a girl earlier in the week tell me that she could not play basketball this year because she's on her own and I'm like forget basketball. What else can I do? I'm going to be in your corner whether you play ball for me or not. How can I help you get through this unfortunate time in your life? And so for me it's We've got a club going, but you know that's just another computer screen and so trying to work with our district's policy as into how we can reach our um, athletes uh, professionally and keep within those boundaries um, but not also keep them on long times of air times because they're getting tired of being on the computer you know that's you know for them it's all day long uh, for us it's even longer sometimes, but they don't want to be on a computer screen any more than they have to so we're coming up with some clever um Virtual um, activities, I have obviously a a passion and a a desire to go on to the coaching level. So I've been really kind of picking the brains of D1 coaches and D2. How are you engaging athletes? How are you um, team building when you can't hit the court? And so uh, we've been doing some of those fun activities. And mind you, they're not basketball related, but at this point, um, they're life oriented. And we've always believed, at least in my program, and I'm sure you guys do the same, you're teaching life lessons through the game typically. And normally it's the game that teaches those lessons and you can, you know, use metaphors to connect it. But now it's more about life and connecting it to ball and when has this come up in ball and how do how we get over that hump? And so for me, it's just trying to make sure that every day, even if my kids don't come into our club meeting, I'll reach out to them by text or by our group me and say, hey, listen, I missed you today in the video. Uh, I hope you're well. I hope your family's well. Is there anything you guys need? Are you guys good? And then just let them know that even though they didn't show up, I'm still thinking about them so that they have that one adult in their life that they can go to about English, math, science, or about food. And and so right now we're trying to work on a community service project. I think virtually you can go out and uh, raid your refrigerator and your cupboards and go to grocery stores, collect food. And then obviously we have two local uh, food banks in our, our neighborhood that we're trying to serve.
3: Oh, that's so awesome. I think that's just this just provides such a great opportunity to really – to really focus on those things, really focus on the life lessons because you're not on a basketball court, because you're not out on the football field or in the film room and those things. And, and maybe this is a misconception, maybe it isn't, but has like a win-at-all-cost mentality uh, over the years infected education-based athletics? Or have schools, uh, school sports increasingly become more about the end result, winning and advancing to the next level, than the process? And how do you as coaches and ADs uh, combat valuing? Athletic achievement in your programs over educational ex- excellence, or I guess in other words, combat the struggle to value educational return on investment over the entertainment return on investment. While of course, still making high school sports still fun.
1: I I, I think Don said it. Uh, the demands are greater. <clears throat> certainly, I certainly feel that, and I think there's more demands on outside influences, people trying to tell you how to do it and where to do it and I think that I often refer to it as being a female coach in the district for 12 years. Uh, there have been several males and females, I would even argue, that have this messiah complex that their way is the end all way. And I don't think I'm the end all result. I think I am one uh, factor in a student's success or one factor in a student athlete success. And while I do have an opinion about AAU and all these other branches. Um, it doesn't mean that one way or one vehicle is better than another vehicle or that they don't all serve a purpose, but there are some people that have that counter <laughs> argument that the only way to get to Division one is through AAU or to specialize in your sport and to do A, B, and C. Um, and so you know my job as a, a person who's trying to teach my young uh, ladies about life is wherever you're putting your money, make sure you know what it's going for. And so there should be some arguments as to what is my dollar buying me? Uh, and so when you're paying, uh, you know, I had one parent say they paid $4,000 for AAU for one season. And this girl was playing on a JV varsity swing. And I'm like, that money could have been better served individualizing training for her or getting her into the free training that was being offered in the summer. But again. Or saving
3: to- for college tuition. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the other flip argument is that, well, they're telling them, they're promising that, that this is the way to get to the next level. And as we all have, I mean, I have children. I mean, uh, even though I don't use that method, like, and I can see through that. Yeah, I, I mean, some parents are, they want the best for their children and they're susceptible to being, you know, taken down the wrong path or only one path versus multiple paths. Um, I think Wilson has a great history of multi-sport athletes getting to the pro level. Um, and so I don't ever specialize anyone in any sport I encourage kids to go up through all sports and I don't ever take offense to the Messiah complex. However, I think that people of rational sound minds should understand that that's one opinion. Don, what
3: were your thoughts on
1: that?
2: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, Michelle hit on something um, just by citing the fact, you know, I'm a parent and I'm like, yeah, it's like how the world changes once you become a parent. But I do want to say this. I try to be as empathetic with, with parents as I possibly can, um, both inside of our program and because of the interactions I have with people outside. You know, Tony said, you know, I go different places and I speak and you never know when somebody's going to be a dad standing in the background and his son is a division one quarterback, but doesn't have anybody in his life that's talking to him about some of the things that all of us talk about. But I also think that what gets underestimated is the amount of pressure that parents feel to provide for their children. Um, and, and I would tell you, um, without revealing any names, uh, a guy that I've gotten to be very, very good friends with because he went down that road and actually a friend of a friend and put us in touch. He's living in a more remote area. His son is obviously a division one athlete. He's got an offer from a big 12 school as a sophomore. And he's calling me because he's like, should I move to Seattle? And I'm like, why? Well, because everything I see on social media, everything that's on the internet, everything that's coming down my way is these other kids in this class are getting, their parents are providing for them in a way that we can't provide for our son because we live hours away from any of those main cities, hours away from any of those locations. And so by the time the parents get done in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I mean, you have kids out there haven't played a game of high school football they haven't played a game of football in two or three years let alone a high school game of football who have division one offers already and if I'm a parent who, who has a child and I see that a child in that class and I see that man that puts a lot of pressure on me because I have to at the end of the day lay my head down and know that I'm doing what's best for my kid and that's a totally different level of commitment once it becomes your child in there I have a lot of patience for other people and their children when I'm like, hey, listen, the process will work itself out. I'll make that phone call, I got a buddy here, we'll do this, get to that summer camp, blah, 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 whatever that may be, but I don't think what's really been acknowledged, and I I haven't seen it, and maybe I'm making something up here, but I don't think we really acknowledge the amount of pressure that parents feel when they have talented children to continue to feed that ability to do those things and honestly the only way to do that is pay the money and that's so incredibly difficult it's probably one of the reasons why i've left all other sports and centered on football because other than the street agents and the and the ridiculousness of private privatized coaching in the off season football is somewhat the last bastion of hope although covid may take care of that that'd be a different conversation for later but I think that's a part of it too. And I think we feel that all of us as parents, we feel that more than anything, that pressure. And so I empathize with them. I feel bad for parents right now. I really do.
1: I would include it for talented. And I wouldn't say not talented, but players that are not going to arrive at that D1, T2 level that you clearly yeah. know. And, and those parents feel that. And I'm like, how do you balance the conversation today? Hey, listen, that money can be well served different places. I don't think that's yet what you need to be focused on. You know.
0: what's gotten lost a little bit is the high school there's nothing wrong with just having a really good high school experience mm-hmm. in sports <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's about I got to get in offers and what the, 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 the things that social media have done in uh, the monster that's created in terms of expectations and it's like Michelle was saying and I would argue that on great points. I hadn't thought about it. I had a great perspective about the parent, pressure on the parents. But um, the average talented kid, you know, and just that, the, the piece that Michelle was talking about before about, boy, if we can just get that kid to understand the power that they will create for themselves with their academic record, and the options that that creates for them, that maybe their physical ability doesn't create for them but but that's not really uh celebrated as much on social media. Yeah. You know, it's it's well, uh, no. Go ahead.
2: And let's let's recognize this fact too. That's the overwhelming majority of people, right? On that mountain of average. And so that's your target audience for the pay me crowd. That's your target audience those kids the the overwhelming 80% of kids with average to above a little bit above average ability kids that work hard kids that are coachable those are the kids that are being targeted they're being sold this idea if you pay me this money then we will get you these offers and and to michelle's point like that money would be so much better spent somewhere else shoot it would be better spent on diet and sleep than spending all of that time traveling and you know, going to every little thing because you feel like you're going to miss out. But this idea of scarcity is crazy. And those people are the backbone of some of those organizations because they're the ones that pay. The Division One guys don't, the Division One bound guys don't pay. They get the guys in the door. Those are the ones that you put their picture up on the, on the wall when they leave, but they never paid you a dime because they made you money by recruiting other people to your, to your, to your organization, to your group.
0: Sam has a, has a really good perspective on this because of where it was at, especially in the time he was at Kennedy and and I'm gonna call it haves and have nots, but I'm specifically speaking to scholarship level, division one level versus yeah. talented athletes.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's it's something that, that I'm I'm really sensitive about. I think I when I share my like when I share stories with kids, like like I I personally was the was the like just was was the better than average, good enough to good enough to play a role, not good enough to go anywhere. Student athlete, that so many of our kids are across the board. Um, that has given me that perspective, and I've had those conversations with those star level kids, like you said, Tony. Like, look at to some level of extent. Like, I don't need to work as hard for you. Like, I, I don't hear hear that the right way. Like, that's not how I, that's not how it'll be. But I'm gonna give. I have the ability to 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 give all of our student athletes that moment in the sun that, that spotlight whether that's senior night whether it's the GPA award whether it's you know the the a, a small feature on Instagram or social media or whatever that is like that's a tool that like that can literally make that kid or that family's day month you know school year like high school experience Whereas the kids that are D1 and beyond bound, like, quite frankly, like, they don't really care what I post, <laughs> you know, they, 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 they don't need that as much. I, I think they everybody wants that. And, and of course, I want to provide that opportunity for them. But really, like, it is those it is those kids that are the, the, the role players, the people that make up the meat of, of a high school program that that need this the most and that need outstanding coaches like all of you the most and i'm real privileged you know uh, to be on this call and having seen and and worked with so many of of you guys up close and personal
3: well sam you talked about the social media presence and and you are one of the people i would say are really intentional about how you handle uh, your social media presence with in the athletic departments you've been in and I, I want to talk about applications for, for handling some of these things. Like Don talked about the, pre, the overwhelming pressure some of these parents are feeling. Um, I'm kind of reminded, though, of this like oft-used quote uh, in the coaching world from the late Billy Graham. Uh, a coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in a, in a lifetime. So how does like the 2020 high school football coach or basketball coach or soccer coach Go about making those impacts in, in this generation of athletes and, and being a crutch in, in that family who's feeling all that pressure to get their kid to the next level and get a scholarship. And, um, and how have some of these strategies and applications you guys use changed in how you make impressions with these kids and build relationships with your athletes today?
0: We have the ability to define success, and how we define success is a, is a critical piece in the answer to the question that you just asked. And if we're defining success as your number of offers or your all league awards, or you're this or you're that, for us, and I'm coach of a male sport, but I'm AD of males and females, so what kind of person are you, what kind of impact are you gonna have? You know, there's a bunch of cliches that we all use and hear and so on, but I really think it comes back to how do we define success? And, the, and we have enough influence to um, to be able to take advantage of that in, in how we define it, to help craft the mindset of that kid in that family as you go through it. So I'll start with that, and then like I, said, I thought I saw Michelle starting to speak up.
1: I would echo what Tony says. Um, there are opportunities out there for kids, but without the basics, you're not getting there. And so for for a program like ours, We've been in, you know, I've been there for 12 years. I finished my 12th year. We've had uh, now 24 girls go off to play Division One, Division Two, or get to a CC level. And we have, the first couple of years, we're not very competitive. And since then, we've been pretty competitive. And, but it hasn't been the basketball all the time. It has been the GPA. In selling kids on. if you have a 3.5 or higher GPA, at least in women's sports, we can get you to the next level. Don't have a pre-determined ideal about where you want to get to. Everyone wants to go D1, but D1 may not be the great fit for you, D2, or whatever JUNCO level or CC level. And so right now, even during COVID, we just had a girl sign uh, or make a verbal commitment last week and she'll sign in the spring, but that was really hard because she didn't get to play last summer. And she's very talented. But the D1 program was taking their time and they interviewed us several times and, and they were asking us for you know, truth and honesty and, and what are the weaknesses and what are the strengths. And you know, to get that FaceTime call for that young lady who was beyond the moon in terms of exciting because she got her D1. Um, but I knew she was going to go somewhere. You know, She was going to land where she needed to land to be the perfect fit for her. But for me, it's about being the facilitator and whatever their goals and ambitions are, to help guide them along that way through social media, through understanding that your dream, your goal has to have the work ethic behind it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so, even in COVID, there's, you know, not every girl's basketball player wants to play. Some of them just want to have a great experience and be part of a a, a program. But you have those three or four that are gym rats who definitely that's their vision, that's their parents' vision, that's their goal. And so, keeping those kids active with. You know, finding out what D programs are doing and, and what D2 people are, are doing. What, what are they doing in the weight room? What are they doing in ball handling? What are they doing in technique? Because why I can't work with them right now, which my gym is usually open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's no excuse not to chase your dream. You just got to think outside the box. And so for us, being that facilitator, go outside, run, uh, go to a park, shoot shots. I mean, I every every glass backboard of 253 is identified. Um, where they can go get some great shots up. Um, And so, again, it's all about their vision and then making sure you align their vision with their work ethic because otherwise it's just not going to work.
2: Yeah, Michelle, you're so good. You're so good. You hit so many things that should be buzzwords that are not. Um, uh, Just a couple of them, just alignment. That's our job is try to help them with alignment. You can never withdraw more money from the bank than you invest, or you gotta take a loan and somebody's gonna get paid more than you borrowed. Um, And the other part of it is we have to be guides. And and I think there's a big part of that that gets lost. I think a lot of people, and I know I did this early on, my first go around with Coach Davis when I was down the street and we were, and I was just a lowly volunteer assistant, Um, but I wanted to be the hero, man. I wanted to save kids. That was my job. That's what I was gonna do. And I didn't realize until later that saving people required them to be victims. And so I'm almost creating a situation where I can step in and with maturity, you figure all of that out. you know. But our job is to guide them along the way, position ourselves as somebody who's empathetic, but somebody who has the expertise and the credibility to kind of show the way like how we saw that coming. And I can't tell you how many times in the season each one of us kind of looks at them and go, well, we saw that coming. We told you this is gonna happen. I think the great crazy thing about what happens in sports with coaches is you almost enter into this weird paradoxical relationship with your kids where you're almost rooting against them. So they learn the lesson sooner than later. So that creates the capacity for learning. So then they can really absorb the lesson. You know, it's like, it's this crazy thing. But the last part I want to just hit on is what, what coach Davis was saying when he said, um, you know, we define what success is. I would tell you this, the if it's brief and essential, you know, what is that, that uh, idea that 20% of what you do gives you 80% of your results? And I think that's a big part of it. So we whittle everything down to what's consumable. You give the kids the vernacular and the vocabulary with it, and then you tell them, here's what success is. It's these three things. Be convicted, strong, relentless, right? Take care of your teammates. Do what's difficult and give all your best effort every single day. That's it. If you do those three things, you will be successful. You know, and we've got kids in the military, we've got kids continuing to play at from NAIA to Division One, and we've got people who are in crazy internships and really difficult situations who are still saying, if I take care of my teammates, if I do what's difficult, and if I give everything I've got in every single day, I'm gonna be a winner. And I think if we rally around those things, then the winning is just the icing on the cake. Because the one thing I feel like I tell kids every year is, we won the state championship in 2012. We cried when the game was over. We won, but we still cried. And why did we cry? Because it was over. <laughs> Same thing I'd done all those other years before and, and you know, mentored and helped those kids deal with that. And that, that part never really changes. And so I think success, alignment, guiding, placing yourself on that pathway to steer and give advice, but let them create their own capacity for learning. None of that is changing. But I will say that the real art and what's happening right now, and it sounds like Michelle's doing some of it, I think is how do you create experiences that you're not physically there with them to, to participate in? So if you already have your core values of your program, you already know what success is, then you can rally around these interactive Pieces with them, even though you're not there, send them out, engage other people in the community, engage your other coaches with them. But that's the trick right now. We're not, not a lot of us are equipped to do that. And so now we're really learning and really building. But the the bonus is the bar is so low because there's so little happening for these kids that they will take it and they love the idea that they see the effort.
0: Then if they will go and take that and then lift another kid up, that's that leadership component that we're all looking for and trying to develop. And and we're kind of like Michelle was saying, we're kind of helpless if we choose to be, because there's things they can go do and working on. But now if we can train 15, 16, 17-year-olds to go out and let me go lift up the 14-year-old who hadn't even met me yet, you know? And so that's that's where, again, what's kind of cool is I'm listening to this conversation is this incredible from everybody on the screen to, okay, we got this COVID thing, never even heard the word eight months ago. We're going to make the best of this thing. We're going to find the positives to, to grow the people that we get to work with, both, both uh, students and adults, young people and adults. But We're going to find positives as we make the thing work. So I, I'll be quiet because I saw a bunch of other people starting to try to chime sure. in on
1: I would just like to echo what uh, Dawn said. There will be gaps. There will be like a two-week gap or maybe even a two-day where your, your athlete won't talk to you because that information you seeded on them, that you planted in them, has to be watered and, and reflected upon before they can apply it forward. So the other day, we signed the girl committed and signed, and I let her have the moment on, on social media, and obviously I pumped her up myself too, and it's a big moment. But then on Sunday night, I sent her the text, Monday Motivation. If you're still thinking about what you did yesterday, you're not focused on today. So here's what you need to do this week. Contact your coach about the weight training program they're doing. Do it now. You have no excuse. What are they doing for preseason workouts? Do it now. Don't wait. Watch their upcoming film because they're about ready to uh, play in a couple games here in a couple weeks, hopefully. Find out who are in those spots. What are they doing? And what do you need to do between now and then and get your body right to now compete? Now that you've earned your dream, now that you've earned your goal, how are you going to make an impact to the next level? And so, you know, there have been times where my best players have hated me probably for two weeks and haven't spoken to me. However, the relationships after the fact, when they understand what was trying to be delivered to them, is not always easy to hear. And there are probably other people that will give you the message you want to hear. However, it probably not the message to get you where you want to be. It's probably not going to align with your vision and your dreams. Uh, and so... I think it's that balance, and I'm not afraid to do that. Like I've heard Don say, too, that, you know, there's still transition periods. There going to be times where you upset people.
2: Yeah, you're guiding that 16-year-old so you can, they can become your neighbor when they're 30, right? Like that's really what it is. We're going to share the world with these kids. So you guide them. You know there's that transition. And when you see them 15 years later, you, you know you're going to get some monochrome of respect um, from it. And there's a realization as an adult that that person loved me because they didn't let me get away with everything.
0: Hey, just to chime in on that, there is nothing cooler, and it sounds like we've all been at this for a while, than seeing a former player with their kids. Mm. And what kind yeah. of There's nothing cooler than that. And just watching, and because it, it sounds like a brag, it's not intended to be, but you're going to hear things that you used to say. <laughs> 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 it, yeah. and it, and it makes you feel good. It makes you feel really good. Go ahead, Sam.
4: No, no, you're right on, right on, right on, there, guys. It's 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 so much of it's about what we're doing off off out of competition, and it, the competition's just the the carrot to get it get it there.
3: Well, I, I, that's so great. I I love the, some of the things we hit in that, and I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to what Don was talking about with the pressure on parents. Cause I think there's also this big pressure on on the kids as well in the form of specialization and kind of where that has taken off especially in the past decade or so. Um, uh, How has that rampant specialization impacted the high school program athlete relationship? And what measures do you think coaches should be taking to adapt and address that phenomenon? I I want to mention this because, for instance, in 2015, there was a study from the National Athletic Trainer Association found many student athletes had reported higher levels of negative emotional states than their non-student athlete peers. And that was just shocking. Here, because that's what uh, being high school sports like that it's supposed to be able to help you uh, in that regard and here is showing that it's actually um not and i think it, a lot of it has to do with this specialization trend and i think maybe we call it instead of sports specialization maybe it's sports professionalization uh, as opposed to that how if at all have any of you seen or dealt with that in your programs
1: I think it's more rampant in the male programs than it is a female, so I'll let them guys go first. But I do have some ideals around it. I
4: mean, I, I, I would chime in. I would I would chime in first, but perhaps like as a, I mean, I know we're we're all parents in some capacity, but I'm I, I joke that I, I have much more experience raising high school athletes than I do raising my my ten year old athlete, and I, I'm seeing that right now with 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 him and and. Uh, my, my seven-year-old to a lesser extent, but it, it's crazy how I, I break almost every rule that I, that I set for my parents and my coaches with my own kid and, and the, the, the ideas and expectations and pushes that come for him to play. Year-round basketball, or year-round baseball, or, or year-round golf. Since we just got off the golf links a little bit ago, um, like the the, the the expectations and the push, like that even he says and sees, and to some extent you know, that one of the best things about the job is, is AD is having my kids around so many outstanding young student athletes, but, but they see those, the successes and they look up to those kids and they want to be like that. And they see more, more, more as the way to get to that. So despite everything that we talk about and pre about multi-sport athletes and the stats and stuff like I feel myself as a parent just slipping right right back into doing everything that I preach not to do. So now I realize just how hard it is um, to break that cycle and do what seems counterintuitive despite all of the research and all of the facts that would say otherwise.
0: You know, I my daughter's in her 30s and just had her own kid and son is 27 or something. I always felt comfortable with them being multi-sport. And, I, and I'm proud of my own, when I'd ask him what his favorite sport was, and he'd say, it's the one that I'm playing, because that's the answer that you want. And I don't know if you heard me saying that to somebody else, and he parroted it, but um, you know, I just have this, this core belief that the best place for them is with us. And our rules, I don't know if this if you want to get into this but i'm kind of i'll be curious on michelle and and don's and take and, and sam as well i feel like our rules have opened the door for these outside groups and one of the things that they have in oregon and when things slow down a little bit i think i'm going to try to write this up as an amendment i bounced it off some other folks but in oregon they have a um, it's a hands-off period for the first i believe it's six weeks of the season and then in week seven coaches Don could start working with his football kids again. Now he can't pad up and go out and do those other things, but he can talk football stuff. So it, again, allows the, it creates the opportunity for Don to work with football kids and for Michelle to work with basketball players in the own gym and then teach some of those things that we've just been talking about for the last 45 minutes or an hour, because those are those important things. And I'm not sure, maybe some of the outside trainers do, but they're trying to make it paid. You know, we're trying to develop quality young men and women. And so that opportunity to work with them, um, I, I, the, the, after talking to the folks down in Oregon and they feel like it's really worked well, um, the fact that you're not pulling the multi-sport kids away because it doesn't, that, that hands-on period doesn't start until after you get to the, I think it's the sixth week, maybe it's the seventh week. Um, I think there's some possibilities there. Michelle and Don, what do you guys think of that?
1: I've seen the pull, I mean, obviously, obviously I'm a huge sports fan, person. I've been around sports my whole life. So I've seen the drama between our men's basketball coach and our men's football. Um, and mind you, they actually co-coached together during the basketball season. But there's still that draw, and there's still that push, and there's still that competitor level. And so for me, I do something similar to Oregon just on my own premise, that I don't want to be a roadblock for our girls. And so I encourage them to go out for other sports. Um, For one, me, an opportunity to see how they're coached by someone else. And for me to see how they thrive in another sport. Um, But I don't ultimately have that say. Parents and children decide what they're going to play and what they're not. But it certainly never said to me, hey, you only need to be on basketball or don't do volleyball because that sucks. That doesn't go with uh, basketball. But I actually will go inspire them and go watch them play their other sport and, and figure out about the sport, even though I may not know much about it. Um, And watch them be coached by someone else so that I might be able to pick up some nugget that might help me make a better connection with them, especially early on. Um, In addition to that, um, I don't start any preseason or postseason or work training during a time where another sport activity is going. I don't make that kid make a decision because that's a bad position to put that kid in. Sure, everyone has to make choices, but if the volleyball is practicing from 3.30 to 5.30, and I do weight training, in the it, there might be this pull to come to me instead of to the volleyball coach. So everything is outside that time so that they can do both if they want, or they can just focus on one and not worry about the other. And same thing with open gyms and all that. Always outside and always with the permission of their other coach, because if obviously they were running an open gym and twist an ankle, I'd be pissed as hell. If you're my athlete and you got hurt in an open gym situation out on the soccer field or the volleyball or even anything else, mind you. So um, I think it's on the adults in their life to be that model. And I don't think an AD should have to tell me not to do that. I think that that's just something that I should know. Um, But I know it's harder for male programs because there is that constant pull. There is that specialization. Um, And maybe not so much for our male basketball coach and our male football coach. But from the outside trainers, I I can't imagine how many basketball games I go to and there's so-and-so's trainer who's you know has got the video camera who's now this expert on how to get kids to D1. And I'm not quite sure what their resume holds. I'm not quite sure they've ever gotten a kid to D1. However, there's that pull and they're actually having an influence on the kid. And like um, Don said earlier, the impact on the family is even greater. And so where am I gonna put my money? Where do I want my kids spending their time on? All that comes into play, but if you have a coach willing to work around those times so that a kid can have the opportunity to do multiple things, the last thing I'll leave you is that there's one positive thing out of this COVID. There are several of our kids that were burnt out from sports, not physically, I mean mentally, but physically, their bodies were wore down. And like I just told my girls the other day, I mean, the one blessing is that I've got a girl right now I can get to, uh, Junko, who had really bad knees, at the- could barely even finish the season last year. Like her knees were done. They were trash because of the constant wear and tear of AAU and then a the competitive season that might like, go right after the next. Her knees are fine now. You know, just the constant workout and ability to strengthen things and not be pounding so much. There's a benefit of the COVID too. And that is just the time off and the ability to appreciate a sport that you may not have fully appreciated prior to being taken away from you as coaches, as players, not being able to be with your teammates not to be able to be with your coaches. Sometimes you're getting on each other's nerves, but now you miss it. How long of each other because it's been taken away.
3: Uh, so good. I thought Don, I thought you'd be a good one to touch on this part too, because he kind of mentioned it earlier, how football's kind of been the last of the breeds to dip into these pools here, but the, like the impact of, of seven on seven and the high school coach relationships with these outside influences and training facilities. And do you have to have a cohesive relationship with those or should there be a separation? It seems like there just remains this animosity and that, High school sports programs are are more and more being bookended between the seven on seven or club sports or au programs and the college and professional athletics and they're just kind of bookended between um what are your thoughts on that
2: um well one i think we also have the advantage that seven on seven will never be football and so that part of it is incredibly important we, we We always laugh when we do the seven on seven stuff and somebody will get out and beat us by three or four scores. And it's like, why don't you come over here and meet my D linemen? They're going to be the ones that are going to settle this for us in about two months when we all meet. Um, but I do think that there's a big part of it. Michelle kind of hit on it. Well, she bluntly stated it, I should say that I think we also need to look at what it means to be a multi-sport athlete now. When I was graduating from Ording High School a while ago, I was a three-sport athlete. We rolled through. Life was good. But I'm going to tell you what. I never had the outside demands of the travel or the practices. We didn't start hitting in the middle of wrestling season for baseball. You know, there there just wasn't that. And so for me, I think I land in a little bit different. I think I shock people when I say this. I am not a an opponent to specialization per se. I just feel like – Kids and parents have to come to a understanding and an agreement about what they can handle in their families. If you have more than one child, too, that's a totally different situation. I have a friend who last spring didn't see her husband and son for weeks on end because they were just passing each other constantly on the road. And so I think that there's a lot to that. I also think to get specifically to your question of like, does there need to be an agreement or what? Here's the bottom line. It It's all about intention. What is the intention of this person versus that? What is the end goal of this person versus that? And if you just watch, if you just watch, it is so glaringly obvious. And I'll throw myself into that bucket too, because I already threw my earlier younger self under the bus, but it was all about winning because I needed to validate who I was as a human being because I was a coach. And if I wasn't a winning coach and it wasn't worth doing And at the end of the day, you realize what a fleeting and horrible thing that is because you're building these transactional relationships with teenagers. You, kid, are going to make me feel good by doing this. Now, there are some people that don't. They don't. They're fine with that. And and Michelle tossed out the idea like, well, I don't even know if they've ever gotten anybody D1. Sure, they have. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Go recruit a bunch of D1 athletes, you know, these incredible genetic freaks, and then claim them on your resume. We can go through and look at college football coaches' bios on the websites. It's like, coach this guy, coach that guy. It's like, you had nothing to do with that guy. He is a genetic phenom, right? But but it's this idea of like, what we will always say is we will relent. I want my kids, like Michelle said, to be coached by other people. I want them to have other shared experiences. Not only that, I want them to have the shared vulnerability of experiences. Like, oh my God, we really want to win, but we might not win. But I am going to say that has it helped us to have a three-time state championship lacrosse team at Eastlake? Heck, yeah. When our kids play lacrosse, they do two things. They experience the glory of winning it all, but they also bring with them the culture of the program like our football program. And it impacts, I'm hopeful, that lacrosse program in a positive way also. Now, in the way that those kids benefit us by playing other, other sports, I would not say it's equal that the kids who don't hurt us, if that makes sense. I know those two things are not equal. Would I love to see my kids out running track and sprinting? Heck yeah. Sprint, jump, run, throw, do all of that stuff. But if you don't want to, just know you're not taking the spring off, right? We're going to push you to do this. We're going to push you to do that. We're going to understand that you have to make decisions inside of your homes um, for what's best for you. But we're always going to have something for you to do, too, if you're not going to be with those guys. And I think that's just across the board. It's important to have a United Athletic Department. You know, our track numbers are through the roof. I know Tony's are as well. Um, cross country in the fall, um, you know, in the in the I think it's something like 60 to 70 percent of all kids at Eastlake participate in a varsity sport or participate in a sport. So I think those numbers are important. But at the same time. You can't outrun what Michelle was saying. The, the the facts of the matter say kids need rest. They are not adults. They are developing. They need rest. And when I have kids emailing me at two o'clock in the morning, cause they're doing homework because they left our practice to go hit, then come home to do homework. And then they're going to travel to a tournament on the weekend and you meet with the parents and they say, Oh, well, he's fine. He's fine. He can handle it. I'm like he's crying at lunch. Like he can't, he's not handling it. And so there's a lot of it it's just so stinking now we're gone full circle to the pressure on the parents to create and you know and, and and have those opportunities for kids, but yeah, it's incredible it's really incredible it doesn't have to be that complicated it's just so simple at the end of it i just, i just want i just like
4: Obviously, this is a high school sports group group, and we're talking here, and we we all have strong feelings, I think, about the the bad experiences or the cautions that we've seen outside of of our world. There are good people out there. There are good programs. There are good places that our, our young men and women can go and develop as people outside of our wings. Just like there are our high school coaches that aren't good. Like, unfortunately, I mean, they're, it it becomes less to me about where they're coming from but but how they're connecting for kids and the why for it I think everybody gets involved in this business of coaching in the school system or outside somewhere along the lines we got into it because we wanted to improve the lives of, of of the young the next generation where that takes us from there it differs sometimes but I think deep down, and maybe that's just the ni- nativity of me or the glass half full mentality, like there are good people out there, and there are good there are people that want to to lead th- these kids in the right direction. And so at, at some point, the, if the question was, do you need to have a relationship? I think that it does help to re- have a relationship with people that think well and, and want the best of kids. Like that is not a bad thing in itself.
3: No, yeah, I think that that was kind of touched on too. Is the um, is there alignment in the mindset? Um, I, I think one thing that was touched on earlier was just the the vast number of kids that are not going to be those D one, D two, D three kids, right? I mean, it's like ninety seven percent of them are not going to go on. They're going to be they're going to have a terminal high school sports experience at the end of the four years, right? And even those who do go on to play in those sports, I think the average uh, career span of an NFL player is three years, three and a half years. And many of those guys don't even have their degree by then. And so what are you setting them up for? Is it setting up to just uh, to to have, like what Don said, that fleeting experience, that transactional approach, we're going to make you a winner. And then, you know, maybe that's done after your third and a half year in the NFL, if you're that 1%. Um, I, I think it all comes back to the the perception, what, and uh, what you value as a high high school coach, and and what are you really trying to instill during these really critical four years? And who'd wanna start off with me some closing thoughts about that?
2: One of the things that that I think is super important here is if we have to start this whole process as high school coaches with a consistent internal message. From there, we want to align external resources that support that consistent internal message. So when Sam talks about there being good people out there, there sure are, and there are also good people out there that don't help us because our message is not consistent. And so I, I, one of my big pet peeves is when I've worked for guys before that just bring anybody out to be a motivational speaker to our guys. Now, if you're gonna come and talk to our guys, I'm gonna tell you the three things you need to talk about. Now, you can tell your story and spin it in your way, but these are the three things we believe in, and so you're coming because you're gonna talk about one or two or three of those things. Same sort of thing with any relationship we might have outside of our program. They have to support our consistent internal message with that external resource. If they don't, it's not bad or good. It just means it doesn't fit with what we're doing. We don't do things that way. And that's culture. And at the end of the day, I know it's not it's not a popular thing to say, but culture doesn't make people feel good. That's not what it's designed to. It's a set of behaviors designed to, to get a, a prescribed outcome. And sometimes people don't fit in that culture, and sometimes they do. There have been great coaches at Eastlake that don't coach football for us. They coach somewhere else. And it's not because they're not good people. It's just because they don't fit that which we ask them to do. And I think the big separator then is that. Everybody has great intentions, but how deep are you willing to go? How far down are you willing to go on that, on, in that talent pool? How many kids are you really helping? Coach Jervis used to say to us all the time, you will be judged how that 65th man on your roster feels about his experience. That's it. That kid is just as important as your starting quarterback.
1: There are some great people out there doing free work, and there are great people out there doing work for 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 a compensation. That's irrelevant to the the picture. It's all about the investment that – A kid is trying to make. If the kid is wanting to get to a certain level, how is he going to spend, how are they going to spend their time and money and resources to get there? Because if you shift your funds to the wrong area, or if you shift your time to the wrong area, then one area might lack and you will not be able to fulfill your dream or your goal because your resources, your investment was in the wrong area. And so, like any good coach and any good parent, you are supposed to be helping these kids decipher. Uh, what is a good and bad investment. Um, As adults, they're going to go out and make an investment um, and they can be led in the wrong direction or led in the right direction, depending on them doing their own research. And so I know these kids are young sometimes and they'll have lots of people in their ear, but I think that you just balance it with your consistent message as Don said. Our program is consistent in the message we give kids. It's not all about basketball. It's all about being a good human being and making great choices and getting yourself to the next level. The next level could be college. The next level could be trade. It could be wherever it is your next level is. But you're going to have to take some people along the way. You have to be a good teammate. You have to be a good human being. You have to be a good student. Um, you have to be coachable, approachable, and teachable. And you're not going to like everyone in your corner. How are you going to work with them to meet your goals? And so for for us, I've met some great trainers. I've met some not so great trainers. My girls will never hear me badmouth a trainer they're working with. I'm not sure that's always true in reverse. However, they have to decide where they're going to put their money. And they have to decide what investment they want to make. My investment is simple. I want to help them grow as basketball players, as women on and off the floor, period. And, you know, I'll be in their corner for life. I still watch all my girls play and now they have kids and it's really a cool thing to see. So if they don't choose me or they don't choose the route that I think is best for them, it's not a big deal. It's a choice they make.
3: Oh so sure. great and so refreshing in this time. Tony, do you have something you want to add there?
0: I was going to get Sam chance i'm going to steal from all of them in mine at end <laughs>
3: <laughs> the veteran, such a veteran
0: yeah
4: that's a that's a that's a, a wise move. I've learned many things from you over the years, Tony, and uh giving me the mic before you is not one of them, but <laughs> um, no i mean it, it you, you i think there's a, there's a reason why TJ, you asked this group together and I'm not sure why you asked me to be part of it, but, um, I think you, you've heard a, a trio of outstanding leaders of men and women and that are in it for all of the right reasons. And, and winning ball games is one of those reasons. I mean, that is a, there are some competitive juices that come along with this and come along with the ride. I think when it comes down to it, um it's 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 all what don said there it's is that last player on your roster regardless of the sport feel the joy and family atmosphere the learning process everything that comes along with that and and that's you know it's, it's how you started it tj and set it up it really comes back to that i think we're teaching lessons that are there for for the long haul um the, the the joy that comes with winning and the, and the tears that come with losing are part of that, um, but it doesn't happen unless there's a framework in place. And you know, thankfully, we've been able to you know build frameworks with with outstanding coaches to to get through that. Now, this isn't going to stop it. The COVID, like Tony said, will come to an end, and we will get back to playing and competing again. And in the meantime, we're just serving these lessons on a different platter.
0: Don said something about if he invites someone in, there's three things that they're going to talk about. And that uh, kind of a career changer for me. Um, Brett Thompson was coaching over at Kent Lake. He'd been putting this book in my hand for, I don't know, probably two or three seasons. It's called The Season of Life by Jeffrey Marks. (laughs) And in that, there are seven, what we've identified as seven characteristics that define what a man is. So Tuesdays for us is our BAM days, becoming a man presentations. So when someone comes in, they're going to speak to one of those seven characteristics. And from day one, what we talk, what I will tell them on day one, because that's my responsibility as the head coach, is talking about. If all you get out of this ten years down the road was how to block a trap, or how to run a, a mic stunt, or something like that, and I have failed you all miserably. If you just made the choice to come in and be a part of this thing and to have a seat in this auditorium today, there's more that we're going to expect from you, and more that you should expect from us, and those those seven lessons, those seven characteristics are a big part of it. And, and again, I think it's, we all do something similar. We just label it a little bit differently. But the expectation that we have for them down the road is, is really where we're ultimately going to be judged in addition to that 65th person on the squad, like, like Jerv says. But it's also that down the road thing that, that's going to be the judge for us. Um, and, I, and I, again, listen to it in their voices. They all of you guys accept that challenge and knock it out of the park. And it's just what a cool experience it's been for me just to sit and listen to you all share your stories and the impact that you're having on kids. And I guess the last thing is just a reminder to all of us, and I know we're doing it if we can, if this podcast can help spread this word, is kids, kids and families are struggling right now. And my guess is that in each one of the districts that are represented on this call, we probably could point to we've lost a kid or an adult in our community that's taken their own lives. And again, it's just more important than ever for us to look after each other and take care of each other. And I think that's one of the skills that we try to teach in our sport that, we're not seeing them every day. We can still teach that and, and talk to our kids and about reach out, take care of each other. And if you know somebody that's struggling, then then what's our plan? And if you don't, if you need help, let me know, and I'll be the one that will reach out to them. But um, you know, our communities are hurting, and, and, and sports is a way to teach the kids the skills that they need to help keep our community strong and help look after each other. And again, it's back to again I'm, I'm being the rose-colored glasses guy. But we're going we're going to come through this thing. Um, but man, it's been tough. So let's, let's just, let's just keep taking care of each other and, and know that, uh, we've got each other and we can, we'll, we'll get
3: through it. So. Well, Michelle, Don, Tony, Sam, thank you so much all for your perspectives on this and, and all of your, uh, um, your time, uh, put together, uh, put toward this. And, um, uh, yeah, we really appreciate uh, all you do to to help. I feel, uh, hopefully stimulate so many people who, Uh, might be in the high school sports world with with this so really appreciate all your time
1: thank you thank you for the invite
4: awesome cj thank you